Well, welcome to 2011, and it's time to enter the go part of our grow vision. If you look at the symbol just above our head, a couple of weeks ago, we sort of uncovered this and found it as archaeologists dug through our sanctuary and hoisted it out of the bowels of the earth. And as you look at it, it has uh, arrows pointed in, and if you can see it, arrows pointed out. And the whole vision for this year is grow and go. For two weeks, we've talked about those arrows pointed in. We've got to spiritually continue to grow. And now we want to start today on the second part of the vision. This Sunday and next Sunday, we'll talk about the arrows pointed out. We've got to go. Now turn to Jonah chapter 4 in your Bible as you're turning there. Let me give you an incredible update from uh, this past Wednesday. Let me give you a grow update. This past Wednesday, as we've shared with you uh, several times... Deeper Life meets on Wednesday, and the schedule for those classes is on the back of your bulletin. This past Wednesday, we saw a 40% increase in people in Deeper Life on Wednesday night. Now, I think that is absolutely incredible. Exciting things are happening there. Those classes are a real mark of growth. This Wednesday is the last of a three-week series And then a week from Wednesday, we'll start a whole new set and you can look there and jump in. But I just want to encourage you, go ahead and jump into those deeper life classes. They are they are um, convenient Wednesdays, seven to eight o'clock. They are they go in sets of three and then a new one starts. We have a great staff of teachers, about 30-something people have committed to teaching. And, and, and I don't know if you realize this or not, but this Wednesday night, 60% of our Sunday morning attendance was on campus for Wednesday night services, including youth, uh, Ep- Epic High School, Epic Middle, Rangers, Missionettes, Nursery, our Hispanic ministry has some groups that meet, Deeper Life. I- I'm just telling you... This is an exciting place to be on Wednesday nights. There's a lot of stuff going on. So I want to encourage you to come out and join us for that. Now, that's, that's a grow update for you to show you how things are moving. Let's zero in this morning now. Turn to Jonah chapter 4. And let's talk about uh, go. No one in this room and no one in this country would, would disagree with the fact That in the last 50 years, America has undergone significant and fundamental change. Now that change has recently become a topic of discussion because it has now become so visible that it's undeniable. You can just simply look around and see it's undeniable the changes that have happened. Now the question for us today is, how has the church responded to that fundamental change? Like it or don't like it or whatever, it's a reality of life. How have we responded to that change? The American church has responded, unfortunately, by building a silo, its own silo, constructing a parallel culture to the American culture. The American culture started to turn and the church withdrew from it and said, then we'll have to build a separate culture for whatever reason, to remain pure or whatever the the motive was. So now today we have a parallel of everything the American culture has. We just put Christian on the front of it and it works. We have Christian media and Christian entertainment, and Christian education, Christian recreation, Christian theme parks, Christian hangout clubs, 
Christian radio, Christian bookstores, you name it, we'll put a fish on it and we'll call it Christian. Now as the... (laughs) Christian cars. Now as the Christian silo continues to rise, our evangelism strategy has pretty much been boiled down to invite the unchurched to come along on the ride with us. We've pretty much adopted a a come and see mentality. We are building great things in the kingdom of God. You come and see it. You come and be a part of it. It's like the field of dreams. Build it and, and they will come. The common wisdom on the ground seems to have been the last 50 years. If we build better churches both physically and facility and in otherwise, then then they'll come and see it. The church spends in America on an annual basis about $100 billion. $100 billion a year the American church spends and we have the finest church buildings that the world has ever seen. We have built it, but they haven't come to see it. So, there there tended to be a backroom conversation that said, we need more than just the best buildings the world has ever seen. We've got to learn leadership better. And if we can have better leaders and better educated leaders and better equip leaders, then they'll come and see. I don't know if you've noticed the absolute plethora of literature and discussion and conversation that's emerged in the last 15 to 20 years on leadership. We have the best access to leadership training and leadership equipping that we've probably had in a century or more. And they haven't come to see it. Come and see is not working and will not work again. Come and see works when you're in a Christian culture. Come and see does not work when you're in a non-Christian culture that we are in today. If you want to reach the unchurched, you have to take a different approach. You have to, what we're saying is, you have to go. The arrows are pointed out. You can't have church. You can't do church. You've got to get in the position in the kingdom where you release the church. You release the church into the world. You send the church into the world. The church is made by God to be an ever-expanding and contracting organism. And as it expands and releases, and then it contracts and regathers, and as it expands and contracts and expands and contracts, the living Ruach, the living breath of God, is forced through the lungs of that body, and it becomes a life-giving agency, released to impact, gathered to renew, refresh, and grow. Released to impact, gathered to refresh, renew, and grow. And it's in that movement that the body sees its life delivered to a world that needs it. Now this morning, I want to tell you, by now you know me well enough to know, I love stories. I I love to think about things. I love to hear stories. I like to tell stories. I like to think about things in terms of stories. And I want to tell you a story you, I'm sure you already know, 
You've at least heard of on some level. But I want to I take you to a place in it that you may not have been before. Jonah chapter 4, God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. You know this part. Jonah disobeys, and Jonah gets on a boat, and he goes about as far the opposite direction as he can get. And as he's he's running away from God on that boat, a storm comes up on the sea. It becomes obvious to him that the reason that that storm has come on that boat is because of his disobedience. He tells the sailors, they throw him overboard. They say, well, if you're the problem, we can fix that. That's easy. They just chunked him. Save the cargo, get rid of Jonah. They threw Jonah overboard. A fish, a great fish comes up, a whale or something, comes up out of the ocean, opens his mouth and eats him, swallows him. And there we find Jonah in the stomach of this great fish for three days and nights, praying and asking God to give him another chance to go to Nineveh. And the fish threw him overboard. And Jonah got a second chance. And he came up on land and he goes to Nineveh and the entire city goes into a time as Jonah arrives and begins to share the message that God's given him. The entire city goes into a time of prayer and fasting. Now let me tell you about this fast. Since we're fasting, let me tell you about their fast. Their fast was so severe that the king tore his robe and called a national fast and said no one is to eat. It's not Daniel fast. Do the Nineveh fast. No one is to eat or drink again until God relents and receives our repentance. They didn't even let the animals eat or drink. How many of you's dog is fasting this month? <laughs> Try that with your little parakeet. Nobody is to eat or drink again. Not even an animal, not a goat, not a sheep. Nothing. I mean, it was a severe fast and the king called the entire city to to relent from their violence and their evil ways. Now that is unbelievable. And I don't have time to give the history of Nineveh and all that. Nineveh was a fascinating and dark and evil city. Usually, when you see something that big, that dark... God's prophet comes in, shares what God told him, and the city turns around. The story ends. I mean, every felt board Sunday school kids' church lesson I've ever heard stops right there. Just about every sermon I've ever heard about Jonah stops right there. But I don't know if you know it or not. There's a fourth chapter in the book of Jonah. There's a whole other chapter. Look at Jonah chapter 4. And just leave it open. We're going to refer back and forth to it. I'm going to do something I rarely do. Throughout this morning, we're going to read the whole chapter. I think this is the most important chapter in the book. I think the fourth chapter is what the book of Jonah is about. Jonah chapter 4 verse 1, But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. What, what, did he just hear the same story we heard? Thrown overboard in the bottom of the fish, comes out of the fish, goes to Nineveh. The entire nasty, wicked, evil city begins to repent and fast and call such a severe fast even the goats can't drink. Did he miss that turn? Somehow Jonah was greatly displeased. He prayed to the Lord in verse 2, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? 
That is why I was so quick to flee Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it, is not be- for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right? Have you any right to be angry? Can, can you believe... Can you believe what we just read? How can Jonah dare be angry at God for this city's repentance? You may be like me and thought that Jonah didn't go to Nineveh. I thought he didn't go as I read it through the years. I thought he didn't go because he was disobedient. That wasn't the issue. That wasn't the issue at all. He was disobedient because he hated Nineveh. Now we find out the real reason. He hated them. He actually hated them. He hated the people. He hated the wickedness. He hated their sin. And he knew if he went, there was a good possibility that they would repent. And then God would forgive them. And he couldn't stand for that. He hated them. And Jonah said, since you forgave these people, it's better for me to die than to live. Can you believe that Jonah is angry because this city turned to God? Man, th- this, is, this is an amazing turn of events. This is such an ironic story to me. Think about what the story's about. This story is about a man who ran from God in disobedience. He could have died in the storm. He could have died in the great fish. He didn't deserve a second chance, but God gave him a second chance anyway. Jonah is a perfect picture of God's grace. Now listen to this. Listen real close to me this morning. He's a perfect picture of God's grace, but somehow he never connected he got the, the grace that God has given him as the grace that the Ninevites need. Somehow he's never connected what God has done for him being exactly what the Ninevites need. That is, that is unbelievable. As I read that, as I began to understand it, it struck my heart. What nerve Jonah had, I couldn't believe what I was reading. How is it that we can get in a place in our own Christian life that we don't connect what God has done for us as being exactly what other people need God to do for them? How is it that we don't connect the same forgiveness that we needed is the same forgiveness that they need? How is it we can get to a place in our life that we assume God's love for us but really doubt it for other people? (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's unbelievable. It's unbelievable until I begin to look and think about my own life. One of the, one of the really dark and embarrassing And shameful parts of my life. It is a simple event that happened many years ago that I that I am absolutely humiliated and embarrassed to share with you. When Stacy and I had been married maybe two or three years, we lived in Florida and 
we were we were coming here to see her dad one weekend, and I I don't know, you know how it works. We're a young couple. I, I I don't know if we I can't remember totally. I just remember there's a lot of frustration in the car. How many of you been there when you're traveling? Somebody help me out. We may have been arguing. I, I don't. I just remember it was really hard to get out of town that day and really frustrating. And we were later than we wanted to be, and this and that and all the other. And we stopped in Crestview, Florida, about 15 miles up from our home. And we were, uh, I had to stop and get gas. Because, of course, you know, how many of you realize you're running empty on everything? You ever been there? Out of time, out of gas, out of money, out of life, out of energy, you know, out of air. <laughs> so we got in the car, we're driving to this gas station. I'm just, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm trying to get going. I, I pump gas in the car. And I go in to pay. Something's, I don't know if something's not right with the pump. I don't, maybe that's the pre-debit card days. I don't remember. But something wasn't working right. And I go inside to pay. And there's this little uh, lady behind the counter. And I stop and I'm talking to her. And as she, she looks me right in the eye. And, and I can still see her face. And she says, I lost my baby. I said, what? She said, I don't remember if she said she had lost her baby that day or this weekend. It was just soon. I lost my baby this weekend. And she just started to cry. And, and, and filled with all of the burdens of this world, I stood there and I said, I'm sorry. And I froze. And I didn't say another thing and I can't be more embarrassed or humiliated to say that to you somehow I didn't connect the thing that God had done for me is the exact thing that he wanted to do for her and I drove away and that little girl's tears have become a bitter drink that I have drank off of for years And I said, oh, God, please send somebody else to her. Give me the chance. I don't don't ever want a moment like that to pass my life again. And so as I look into the story of Jonah, I have to look in the mirror a little bit and wonder why it is that we don't connect The thing that we needed God to do for us is exactly what he, others need him to do for him. Why, why do they not need it? Well, God responded to Jonah's disconnection. If you look in verse 5, Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and wanted to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. I think if Jonah 
were a modern American teenager, we would say he was a drama queen. He's constantly wanting to die. Oh, I want to die. The plant is gone. I want to die. My shade is gone. I want to die. Here we have Jonah now sitting out on a hillside watching the city, just hoping that God would change his mind and an angel would fly over and drop an H-bomb and and leave a crater right there where the city was. (laughs) That seems to be his mind frame. In the middle of the night, God causes this plant to grow and it becomes shade to cool off his hot head. And then, the next day, God causes the plant to die. And here Jonah is, sitting on the hill, mad at God for saving people, but really happy about this plant. Sitting in his recliner with his remote control under the shade of this tree, waiting to see if God's going to drop the H-bomb on this city. Hoping that God would change his mind. Here's a man who was thrown off a boat during a terrible storm and eaten by a fish. And in the fish he prays, oh God, don't let me die. The next scene, Jonah is at Nineveh and the entire city is fasting and praying. And all he can say is, oh God, please let me die. And the story ends... In a very unique way. Look at verse 9, 10, and 11. How does God respond to that? But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? Jonah... (laughs) like Barney Fife with one bullet left to shoot, stands up and says, Yes! Yes! Yes, I do! I'm angry enough to die again? Man, I would... I'm glad I wasn't God. I'd say, what color do you want your coffin? Crank it out! I'm done! I'm angry enough to die, but the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Look at verse 11. The key verse to the entire book of of Jonah is verse 11. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well, should I not be concerned about that great city? That's a question. God ends the book with a question. Now that's powerful. Here Jonah is, in misery, again, So mad about the little plant he wants to die. And God ends the book with a question to Jonah that reverberates through the centuries and lands inside Kingwood Church in 2011. Should I 
not be concerned about this great city. Jonah's concerned about a plant that he didn't make. God's concerned about people who are perishing. You know what the book of Jonah is about? The book of Jonah is not about a fish that swallows Jonah. It's not about the storm at sea. The book of Jonah is not about can a person really survive in a fish for three days? Is is that a metaphor? Did that literally happen? (laughs) Is the book of Jonah about being disobedient and obedient? Is that what the book of Jonah is about? The book of Jonah is not about either. In fact, the book of Jonah is not about Jonah. You know what the book of Jonah is about? Nineveh. The book of Jonah is about Nineveh. I wish it was called the book of Nineveh. I think I'll scratch it out and rename it in my Bible. I'm not sure that part's inspired. The book is about Nineveh. And it's about how much God loved that city and what lengths he would go to to reach the people that he loved. Think about what he did. He was willing to even use a man who was disobedient and prejudiced and hate-filled and fragile. Maybe even unstable. He was willing to even use him. Because he loved Nineveh. That's what the book's about. It's about God's love for Nineveh. It was an evil and a violent city filled with hate. But God loved it. And in the end, that's what this book is about. It's about how God loves Nineveh. Now we've talked about grow for two weeks How does go fit with what we've talked about with grow? Let me tell you how it fits. The mark of our maturity is, we're talking about grow. Grow, grow in maturity. Grow in spiritual faith. Grow in spiritual life. Grow up in God. How do we measure our maturity? We measure our maturity by how deeply we love what God loves. That's what maturity is. Spiritual maturity is when you've come to the point that you hate what God hates and you love what God loves. Jonah had him reversed. Jonah loved his own conveniences and hated the people that God loved. That's what the book's about. Are we broken about the same things that God is broken about? Can you hear the Holy Spirit whisper into your soul today, Shelby County has nearly 100,000 unchurched people who can't tell their right hand from their left hand. Should I not be concerned about this great city? Too many times in evangelism, we think about conquering I remember in the 80s, uh, early 90s, the big deal was, we're going to take this city. And they even had a song, we're going to take this city. We even had music to go, we're going to take this city. And we'd sing, woo. But I don't know if you go in with a Holy Ghost bazooka and just, shoo, hit it. I'm not sure how that works. Spiritual Humvees and, you know, Blackhawks, blah, 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 blah. We're going to take this city over. I don't know if you've talked to an unchurched person recently or not. They're not real keen on the idea of being conquered. 
If you've had any discussions about that, why don't you just leave a note? I don't know, a screensaver. We're going to conquer you. Because God loves you. Too many times, I think we think evangelism is about conquering or converting. But what if God's call on us wasn't anything like that? What if it wasn't about conquering this city or converting this city or even changing this city? What if what it was about was loving this city? What if what it was about was falling so head over heels in love with this city that we became irreversibly invested in it. That you could take a knife and cut, but you could no more separate us from this city with a scalpel. Because we had become intertwined. Wrapped up together. Filled with God's love for it and releasing God's love into it. What if the heart that God had for Nineveh, we could have for our city? What if the real reason that God put us here, right here, right now, is so that He might love this city through this church? What if we're actually conduit? What if we're actually here to funnel? What if we're actually here to... to, pass along God's love and he's willing to even use people like us <laughs> what if that what if that's what the whole deal is I mean I, I I know it sounds I mean I know it can sound you know mushy but isn't that how God felt about us God so loved the world God so loved the world that he gave do you know instead of conquering his city, when we, when we zoom in on Jesus and, and, and his journey on this world, we don't find a Messiah who came in with a sword or a machine gun or a grenade or anything else trying to conquer his city. Instead, we find Jesus riding in on a common farm animal weeping over his city. And he said, I, 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 I wanted you to come. I've called you to come, but you, you're not coming. Only one or two times that we have recorded in the scripture that Jesus wept, one of them was over a city. Over a city. Over the people. Over the faces. Over the families. O- o- over the groups. Over the gatherings. Over the, over the culture. Maybe being truly unconditional, unconditionally loved is the beginning point of change. When did you accept God? Whether you could define it or not, whether you had these words to use at the time or not, wasn't there a point in your own in your own journey that for a minute you began to believe that God was interested in you? That God was there and He was real and He was talking to you and He was showing you attention and He was concerned about you. I mean, however you word it, wasn't there some feeling? Wasn't that why you came? You had some sense that God loved you. 
And maybe having that, even though, even though we're limited in how we can receive, and we have to grow in that. Just that basic, maybe the beginning point of change for our city is to be unconditionally loved. And maybe as we love our city, it'll change. And we've got to engage our city at every level with God's love. Now, next Sunday, I want to share our Go vision. I want, I want to share it. This Sunday, we're not going to share it. This Sunday's more about heart than methods. It's more about, can, can you and I feel what God feels? Can you and I gaze out over the city? Can we fall head over heels in love with it? I mean, I, 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 want, I want to drop my feet down into the soil of this county so deep. And I, I, I want to be a lifetimer. I don't ever want to live anywhere else. I don't ever want to be anywhere else. I just want to drop my feet into the soil here so deep that I love the earth. I love the geography. I love the culture. I love the people. I love the accent. I love the slang. I love the schools. I love the cities. I love the businesses. I, love, I, I just want to embrace on every level that I possibly can a genuine God-sent love for here. Just love it. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about some how. And next Sunday will be Commitment Sunday. It'll take a big commitment to make this grow vision live. Next Sunday, we'll talk about that. What I do want to do this Sunday is just give you one appetizer, one taste. How many are you ready for another experiment? Lift your hand up whether you are or not. Good, it makes me feel better. I have to tell you this now because it's coming up on us fast. In two, little over two weeks, about two weeks, I think, we're going to host, this is another way we want to engage to go. We're going to host a Super Bowl party. I want to encourage you now Start thinking about someone who's unchurched that you can bring with you. Now look, there's nothing, uh, despite what any Alabama or Auburn fan thinks, there's nothing inherently uh, redeeming about football. Football won't save you. But I do want you to understand, we're throwing this out as an experiment for a couple of reasons. Do you know that the Super Bowl... Super Bowl Sunday is the nation's largest party. It's bigger than New Year's Eve. Do you know the day in American life when people consume the most food is Thanksgiving and second is Super Bowl Sunday? Did you know that 125 million people, Americans, will watch the Super Bowl and gather together with people on that day. That's more than one in three. If that statistic holds true in our county, 80,000 people in this county will be gathered together somewhere to watch the Super Bowl. I don't know. Jesus was criticized for being a friend of sinners. 
I can't imagine an event going on that large in Jerusalem and Jesus not slipping into it. Let's slip into it. Pastor Clark and I went to a um, missions conference this past week. Let me give you a couple of ways that people are engaged in their city. (laughs) As Providence or something would have it, we sat down at this table of eight with two staff pastors from another church. And, oh, well, what is your name and where are you from? Jacksonville, Florida. What church are you from? Evangel Temple. Well, tell us about your church. Now, listen to this. So, uh, who, are you, one of you guys the pastor? No, no, my granddad's the pastor. Your grandfather's, okay. Well, and, and how long has he been there? 45 years. Your granddad is the pastor 45 years. Well, he's not the pastor anymore. He retired last year. Last year? Who's the pastor now? My dad. How long has he been there? 33 years. What? Wow. I thought, we're in good company. <laughs> 33 years. Well, tell me about your church. We're a church about 1,600 people. Loves its city. Well, what do you do? He said, we went to our local elementary school and we asked them, tell us two things. The top three needs of this school... And the top five kids who are struggling the most financially. Give us the top three needs. And they zeroed in. They said, if you could only have one of those, what would be most important? They said, we need an outdoor seating area for our staff and students in a patio. And he flipped out his iPhone and he showed me their church had partnered with Lowe's and I don't know how many other people. And they got a $10,000 project basically done for about $2,000. And they spearheaded that project on that school campus and built a patio covered awning shaded patio area for that school. And then they adopted those five kids for Christmas and they gave those five kids entire families Christmas. And let me tell you what happened. A Baptist pastor in town called that church. And he said, hey, what are you guys doing over at the school? He said, what do you mean? He said, well, I called the school. He said, I've been trying to get into that school for 10 years. They won't let me on campus. I've been trying to do a Bible study or a devotional or prayer or anything. They won't let me come on and do anything. And he said, you know, I had the most interesting phone call. He said, that principal, I talked to him and he told me about what y'all did. And he said, now he's invited me to come on campus and do ministry. <laughs> There's nowhere you can't serve your way into. There's nowhere. But you can't do it from inside this room. You actually got to go. You gotta go. Doors will open if you go in love. uh, David and Beverly, are you in this service? Where are you guys at? Right there in the back. Don't hide. I can see you. He he must have been praying this morning. He knew I was going to talk about him. So he went all the way to the back. David and Beverly led their son, their life group this past fall. Their life group, personally, raised the money and went this fall and built a homeless shelter downtown Birmingham and, and, and for no credit. And there they were. There they were. 
3340 News zooms in on them and actually opened their broadcast that evening from the shell of that homeless shelter they had built. And there David and Beverly and the life group was standing in their blue shirts and said, Servolution. <laughs> what are you doing this for? Nothing. What do you want? Nothing. Just came to love the city. Just came to love the city. I'm grateful for you too. So grateful for you. They just, their heart got full and they had to do something. And they loved the city. Well, this morning, how should we pray as we end? I've got a way. God, give us your heart for this city. Give us your heart for this city.